Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that by it you speak to us, and we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, I, I trust that you all recognize our psalm from today, Psalm 100. That's one of the nice side effects of having prayed morning prayer for so long together. We prayed that every, day, every Sunday when we gathered together. So um, it's nice to have a, that, that communal memory that's shared together. Well, we're looking at, at Luke 15 today, um, the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin. But before we look at Luke 15, uh, I think it's important to note that Luke 14 actually ends uh, with a large crowd following Jesus and Jesus inviting them to count the cost of discipleship, to count the cost of what it means to follow Jesus. And it seems that a number of tax collectors and sinners did do just that. They counted the cost of following Jesus and they continued to move towards him because Luke 15 begins with these words. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus. So Jesus invites people to count the cost of following him and tax collectors and sinners respond to that call. And Jesus receives them and he eats with them. To eat with someone at that time uh, and in that culture implies, as it continues to do today, welcome, recognition, belonging, acceptance. You are my people. Jesus welcomed tax collectors and sinners to his table where they found acceptance and they found belonging with him. Tax collectors, as you know, uh, were Jewish men who had collaborated with Rome to collect taxes, uh, the taxes of his fellow citizens, for Rome, they often, of course, skimmed off the top. That's how they made their own money and indulged in that practice quite a bit. And they were considered traitors by their fellow countrymen and despised. The sinners were not entirely sure what that means, but generally I think it's safe to say that they were people of low repute, likely immoral people, or perhaps people whose job put them in contact with things that were unkosher, which made them incompatible with the law. So they were considered impure. These people were the marginalized ones of Jesus's day, those who were systematically excluded and looked down upon. And Jesus welcomes these people to his table. He eats with them, he accepts them. And not only that, but he treats them with dignity and honor. And this both shocks and appalls the scribes and the Pharisees who grumble about it. They murmur, they, they talk amongst themselves under their breath so that Jesus hears. What Jesus is doing, it offends them. And it's not just what Jesus is doing. What offends them is that he's doing it on behalf of God. He's implying that his welcome is God's welcome. And that's what offends the Pharisees and the scribes more than anything else. And there are two issues, I think, that come to a head in this passage. The first is, who truly represents God? Whose welcome represents the welcome of God? Is it Jesus or is it the Pharisees and the scribes? And the second issue by extension is what is God really like? Is he like the God implied by the scribes and the Pharisees open to people coming to his table so long as they're the right kind of people or they go through all the right motions or, or perform all the right rituals beforehand or have the right jobs? Or is he like the God, the God implied by Jesus who welcomes even tax collectors and sinners who are drawn to him? What is God really like? 
And to answer those questions, Jesus tells three parables in Luke 15, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son, the first two we heard today, of course. But all three work together to answer those questions, I think. What is God like? And who represents God on earth? Who gets to say what God is like and enact God's welcome? And it seems to me that all three parables in Luke 15 are building towards the third one, the parable of the lost son, which is the longest and the most well-known of the three parables. So I'm assuming that most of you know it. But the great twist at the end of that parable is that it turns out that the lost son is actually the older brother who remained home all along, who is excluding himself from the party by his own self-righteousness and his own unwillingness to, to celebrate his younger brother's return and the father's welcome of his sinful younger, younger brother. And what Jesus seems to be saying is that the scribes and the Pharisees are acting exactly like uh, the older brother in that parable. They are unwilling to rejoice at Jesus' welcome, God's welcome of tax collectors and sinners. They're, they're acting exactly like the older brother in the third parable. Now, of course, uh, we can just as easily, before we start pointing fingers and feeling self-righteous ourselves, we can just as easily act like the older brother ourselves with our own unwillingness to rejoice over the works of God that don't fit our exact mold or meet our exact expectations, or when we refuse to rejoice over the works of God that we aren't the center of, of or that we aren't the center of, that we aren't some, somehow the, the gatekeepers of. We can be just like the older brothers as well. But one of the things that I love about Luke chapter 15 and why I think these first two parables are so important and the danger of just bypassing it and going to the third is that Jesus leaves the scribes and the Pharisees out of these first two parables. And I want you to notice that he leaves them out to the very end to the third parable In the first two parables. You get the other characters who are involved in this scene with Jesus. In the first two parables, you get God and Jesus represented by the shepherd and the woman later in the third it's the father. In the first two parables, you get the tax collectors and the sinners represented by the sheep and the coins. Later on in the third, it's the younger brother. And then in all three parables, you have um, angels and, and joy in heaven represented by friends and neighbors who invited to the party in all three parables. But the scribes and the Pharisees are not mentioned. They're not represented in the first two parables. They're only represented in the third one. And I think that Jesus does that because he's saying to the scribes and the Pharisees that they are not the central actors in the story. They are trying to place themselves in the center of the story and be God's gatekeepers, being the arbiters of heaven, as we often do, but they are not the central actors of the story. That's not their responsibility. Their responsibility, like ours, is to join with the joy of heaven and the great of angels in celebration of the saving work of God in Jesus Christ. Not to try to place ourselves in competition with Jesus as the one who gets to choose whether or not people are accepted into the kingdom of God, but simply to celebrate with all the hosts of heaven the glorious work of God in and through Jesus Christ. Amen? 
And so by not even including the scribes and the Pharisees in the first two parables, I think Jesus is gently reminding them that they are not God's primary representatives. They're important, they have a role, they're called to the party. But they are not God's primary representatives. They are not the gatekeepers, the arbiters of heaven. Jesus has been called to seek and save the lost and to welcome sinners on behalf of God. That's his responsibility. Our responsibility, like the scribes and the Pharisees, is to see that Jesus has invited us as friends and neighbors to the great banquet, to the great celebration, and to join in. And so now that Jesus has sort of cleared the deck and we're clear about who gets to represent God, then what I think Jesus is doing is he now gets to tell us what God is like. He gets to answer that third question. And because Jesus is God's true representative on earth, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, the word from before creation through things, through, through who all things exist, Jesus is the one who gets to tell us what God is really like. And Jesus says that God is like a shepherd who having a hundred sheep, if he lost one, would leave the 99 and go after that one lost sheep until it's found. He would then place that sheep on his shoulders rejoicing and come home and throw a party and invite all his friends and his neighbors. That's what God is like, Jesus says. He's saying that God is like a shepherd who cares for his sheep, who notices when even one goes astray. He's attentive to the needs of his people. In the book that we're reading together, Prayer in the Night, we had a wonderful discussion this past week, uh, focused on the prayer that's at the center of this book, and the line in the prayer was asking God to tend to the sick. We often want God to heal the sick, which is right. And we should pray for God to heal to the sick, but it's not only the, the final and ultimate act of healing that we're after. We want God to tend to us like a shepherd to his sheep, to come to us and be close to us and give us all that we need in every moment of every single day. I think that's part of the picture that Jesus is painting in this picture. Jesus, or God, is like a shepherd who tends to his sheep. Jesus says that God loves us so desperately that he's willing to go off and rescue us, to put himself at risk in the wilderness, to bring us home to himself. That's what God is like. Of course, the cross is the ultimate picture of that, isn't it? Jesus going off to the utmost, putting himself at complete risk for each and every one of us. Jesus is saying that God is not far off and distant, but is always moving towards us. He's always seeking us and coming after us and pursuing us at all times. He says that God is unrelenting in his pursuit of us. He'll never give up. Did you catch, catch that line in the parable? He'll go after the sheep until it's found. He won't stop halfway. He is unrelenting in his pursuit of each and every one of us. Jesus says that God will rescue us and bring us to safety. He is our rescuer and our redeemer. We can't do it by ourselves. The lost sheep can't do it by itself. The coin can't do it by itself. We need Jesus. And he will act. He will rescue and redeem each and every one of us. Jesus says that God is like a woman 
who having 10 coins, if she loses one, lights the lamp, sweeps the house and searches dilig diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors and throws a party. Jesus is saying that God loves you so much that nothing will stop him from searching for you. He'll move heaven and earth in order to get to you. The message translates this verse as, she'll scour the house looking in every nook and cranny. I love the image of that. That's, what, that's Jesus' pursuit of each one of us. Scouring the house. He won't leave anything unturned. He'll tear the place apart in pursuit of each one of us. Jesus says that you have so much value to God, that God will never stop pursuing you. I had a friend of mine from the States call me this week. They live in a place where sports are, it's, not, it's, it's idolatry. I mean, it's just such a huge deal there. Um, and his son is not a great athlete. And he was just brokenhearted, not because his son's not a great athlete, but because the entire context in which he lives sees no value in his son. He said everybody just looks past him or looks over him, doesn't give him the time of day, even kids his own age. He's just so heartbroken by that. God is not like that. God sees the value, the unique value of each person. He doesn't overlook any of it. Jesus says that God will use everything at his disposal, lamps, brooms, whatever it takes, out of the abundance of his storehouses, God will search for us and he will find us. He says that God is a God of joy and celebration who loves to throw a party. He's not dour or severe or morose. He loves to throw a party. He's joyful. There is a celebration in that pursuit. He's not disappointed to come after us, no matter how long it takes to come and find us. It's only a celebration at the end of each parable. Jesus only celebrates over us. And finally, Jesus is saying, or at least one of the final things that Jesus is saying in this parable is that God is generous. He invites everybody to the party. He takes all that he has and he just longs to give that away out of the abundance that he has. He just wants to give that to others and invite everyone to come and share in the abundance of the Father. That's what God is like. I think of, of Zoe today, and what a gift it is to have her baptized uh, with all of you in this congregation. I'm so proud uh, to be part of this. It's amazing to know that, it, you know, not me speaking those words, but God speaking those words over her, that she has been marked as Christ's own forever. That is an incredible thing. But more than anything else, or on top of that, what I, what I want is not just to know that she's been marked as Christ's own, but that this is the God who has called her. This is the God who has marked her. This is the God who has adopted her as his own. This picture that Jesus paints for us in Luke 15, this is the God who is actively and always pursuing her every moment of every day. And he's actively loving her and tending to her and caring for her every need for her whole life. That he is unrelenting in his love for her. He'll never cease, never be thwarted.
that he's willing to risk everything for who she is because he values her that much. He's willing to move heaven and earth to find her. He's good, he's gracious, he's joyful, he's abundant. This is what I want for my daughter. It's what I want for all of us as well, to know that this is the God that has called us. This is the God that we worship. This is the one that we're here to celebrate today, who calls us to his table. To know with every fiber of our being that this is what God is like, that this is the God who loves us and has saved us in and through Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.